0: happy friday guys and welcome to another episode of let's talk dubs i'm your host bill t four weeks left until let's talk dubs one crazy weekend here in las vegas kicks off friday night with an organized strip cruise saturday morning a car show and saturday evening the world famous poker run where i'm going to give away two thousand dollars in cash money so for the best time you can have with your clothes on in vegas Go to letstalkdubs.com, click on the link that says Showtime. There's a code to get yourself a room discount, but they've taken the pre registration offline. So now you've got to call in. Still call in, get your code. Make sure you get your room reserved, guys, because there's a lot of rooms booked. And I don't know how many they got left, but get your rooms booked if you're planning on going. If you got a friend that's on the fence, push him off the fence and tell him it's time to go to Let's Talk Dubs One Crazy Weekend in Las Vegas. Brought to you by Finley Volkswagen. So let's make sure we get you guys out there and you guys will be able to enjoy some fun here in Las Vegas. This week's podcast at the Fast Four Cartel, I was up there, got a chance to sit down with Mike Lawless. You know who Mike Lawless is if you've been in the scene for any amount of time. Since the early 2000s, he was running his full-bodied steel, dark blue Carmen gear on the track. One of the more popular things that he was known of was running the cb performance efi setup on his Gia. he's cracking out passes starting in the 13s working his way down until he gets down into the 11 second quarter miles and then he gets even faster it's a great story about how a guy from central california comes in and has to battle against the guys from southern california for respect and for a place a few years in a row he took the Duren K for Cup class title, only to be beaten out by the one-time Buddy Hale car at Las Vegas. He's got a lot of history. There's a lot of innovation that happened on his gear that ended up getting published in the magazines that a lot of people use in drag racing today. He's a great guy, and now today his son, Mark Lawless, is campaigning that car. It's turboed now. It's bad as could be. So you guys need to check it out. It's a great podcast. I know you'll enjoy it because I most certainly did. Mike Lawless, longtime guy in the VW scene, and he's back out there on the drag strip with his son Mark. So without any further ado, guys, let's get into it this week. Mike Lawless and the Blue Carmen Gear on Let's Talk Dubs. Here's a Volkswagen that's big enough. The new VW Fastback sedan. The Fastback
1: also has the most powerful engine we've ever made. It's air-cooled.
0: Since we made a VW, that's a little roomier in the inside. And in the back, where most cars have their trunks, we have a... Come to your Volkswagen dealer. He'll show you where the motor is. Okay, everybody. So, out here again, bringing you more interviews from the Fast Four Cartels Blitz at the Beach number two. I finally was able to hunt down one of the guys I've been chasing for a while, because uh, I messaged people on Facebook, and maybe he didn't get my message. And on today's podcast, I've got Mike Lawless. You'll remember him from the Blue Gear. If you've watched any drag racing over the past 15 years, there was a Blue Gear that used to come out there. 22. Yeah, 20, it's, for 22 years you've been racing that car. And it was a Dominator, Nat, for a long time naturally aspirated, right? Right. And I've been wanting to sit with this cat for a long time because he was the fuel injection guy. While everybody else was running carburetors, you were running EFI, right?
1: Initially, Yeah.
0: Well, first, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. you. (laughs) Pleasure being here.
0: Yeah, so the way we always start the podcast, before we get ahead of ourselves, the way we always start the podcast is what's your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens?
1: Well, it started back in the summer of 69. Yeah? (laughs) Literally. Really? Yeah. My uh, half-brother was home on leave and he brought a 1960
0: convertible. over. Yeah.
1: And when he left, he left me the car. Really? Yeah. But I was 14
0: years old. Yeah?
1: So I learned a little bit about it then, and I started following uh, the VW drag scene through magazines.
0: And what year is this?
1: Uh, 69, 70.
0: So you really, like right out of the gate, you were into fast VWs.
1: Yeah. Guys like Dean Lowry and uh, you know, guys like that they were they were an inspiration
0: sure so yeah. you and this is in what part where where is this at when you're growing up where'd I you grow was, up
1: i was uh, i grew up in southern
0: california southern california yeah. so your brother brings comes home on leave and then decides i'm leaving here have this guia pretty much wow and now you've got the guia so the first thing you set out to do is you're like hey i like Volkswagens. i like fast Volkswagens.
1: well i had to leave the car in southern california when my family moved to central california okay so i've been living there since 1970 when i turned 16 i bought a 61 from my neighbor for 150 (laughs) dollars
0: nice so
1: i fixed that up and uh after a couple years it had a had a hot rod 40 horse in it you know with a poly bug spray and a power pulley and a scat cam
0: which was the thing to do back then right
1: and uh, in order to get the gearing down, we put, back in those days, we put 13-inch wheels on.
0: So, you go smaller diameter tire to yeah. make the RPM spool faster.
1: Yeah. So... It's
0: a poor man's close ratio?
1: Exactly. <laughs> I like it. So, I ran that for a couple years. And,
0: and what part of Central California are you in?
1: Clovis, so it's near right near Fresno.
0: Okay, so, and this is late 70s, early 80s?
1: No, this is early 70s.
0: Early 70s. Yeah. So now you're running around this little street, a uh, little street ripper in Clovis. How many guys in Clovis are into Volkswagens at this time? What's the scene like?
1: Maybe four.
0: Really? Yeah. Who you Remember any of those guys?
1: Uh, there was a guy named Dave. And uh, that guy, he had like an 1835. Big but, time. Yeah.
0: That's big, big dealing. Yeah.
1: But he had 13 inch wheels too. <laughs> so. You know, he was the
0: he was the guy. You know. So, did you guys do street racing stuff like that back then? Or yeah, right on.
1: We used to cruise a street called Belmont. Yeah. Um, right now, it's in a pretty seedy part of town. But back in those days, Friday and Saturday nights, it was
0: just like American graffiti. Really, it was. And
1: uh, you know, street races took place right on Belmont
0: there. And Clovis was not the Clovis it is today in the seventies. No, back
1: it, in those days. Clovis was a rural town, maybe a population of 15,000. Now it's, now it's well over 10 times
0: that. So you, as a kid, when you're getting impressed by, Vol- by Volkswagens and cars, you're in the mecca of VW, Southern California. Then you move to the middle of nowhere, essentially, Clovis. Yeah,
1: the farm belt.
0: The farm belt, yeah. So <laughs> how do you... How are you satisfying, I mean, are you going to shows in Southern California when you're driving, all that kind of stuff, or you're just kind of like, you're into Volkswagens, but this is where you're at?
1: where I was into Volkswagens, and that was where I was at, and, you know, we did what we could with the resources we had, and uh, raced them on the street, and that was it.
0: Now, did you, did, there's a track in Bakersfield that's not far, or is it? It's 100 miles. Oh, so, there. and that's, I mean, that's tall order to drive the thing that far, or what? Yeah,
1: well, back in those days, there was a track out West of town called Raisin City.
0: Uh
1: It closed in '74 or '75, I think.
0: Do you ever run the car at the track?
1: I ran it once there, without permission.
0: And? A bunch of us drove out there. It was pushed the gate open. Oh no! Lights, no nothing. And you guys just ran them. And who was timing? You had a buddy timing or nobody timing? Just get just a nice
1: Yeah, just whoever got there first.
0: You want to see what it was like to be on a track with some yeah. rubber on it and stuff like that. So
1: that was my first pass down the racetrack in nineteen seventy
0: three. Wow. And then the evolution from there, what's the your next move?
1: Yeah, that was that was the big move. Um, I was working at a local car lot as a detail boy. Mm-hmm. And this 1969 Dodge Dart Swinger with a 340 and a 4-speed came on the lot.
0: Yeah. That was it. That was it for you. That was it. That was big power. Big power, yeah.
1: Uh-huh. So I ended up selling VW, and I was racing various Mopars for the next dozen years or so until, you know, kids came along, you know, life kicked in, yeah. and I had to set it aside. You know, to do the dad thing. Yeah. And then, late 90s came along. Kids were older. So, I want to go drag racing again. So, I think I'd like to get back into the VW because I can race those pretty cheap.
0: Yeah. (laughs) 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 Right. They're not that expensive and I can do all the work myself.
1: So, the goal was to build a 13, 14 second street car. Just have some fun with it around town. Take it to the bracket races and have fun. Yeah. Well.
0: That escalated quickly.
1: About that time, a fellow by the name of Mike Gagan with the uh, Wren Kaffer came along. We were all part of this chat forum called the CalLook.
0: So this is started on the Callook forum.
1: That, that started on California. forum. And they convinced me to come to Sacramento to run in the brand new Duran kaffer class.
0: Right. Which was,
1: which was a show-and-go type thing. You got points for your performance level, and you got points for your show level. So the car was running mid-13s at the time.
0: What year is this? This is
1: 1999.
0: So you're running mid-13s, 1999, and this is in the blue car. So this is in the blue Ghia. So the, the process with this car, where do you find the – where do you, so what year is the gear Gia is a 65. A 1965 Gia. Yeah,
1: I found that in a downtown Fresno backyard with weeds growing out of the windows. Yeah. So I, I made an offer to the gal that owned it and hooked the cable up to my truck and drugged it out of that backyard. Loaded it up on a trailer and towed it home. Now, started,
0: started. Your son's here today. He's, he's he's racing your car now. It's his car. It's his car
1: now.
0: How old was he when you started pulling the car out? Let's
1: see, about 15, 16 years old. 15,
0: 16. So you're thinking, you oh, know, my boy's getting ready to drive. Let me, I'm going to start. I want to do this. Maybe he can help me.
1: No, that, that thought didn't occur to me really? until, until later when he started showing an interest sure and start putting in the time on the car yeah you know because if he was not interested if he didn't put the time in then
0: there's no value for no him value. yeah, yeah no why, why would you me, no value to him. right right
1: so the progression was we raced in Duren Kaffer for a few years and of course you know competition juices kicked in and I started doing whatever it took to win
0: So when you first race the car and you're running mid-13s, what's the setup on the car?
1: The setup on the car was a 2165, (laughs) 10-to-1 compression, 40 IDF Webers, and a...
0: 40s? 40s, yeah. 40s, and you're running mid-13s when that car. And at this time, like this is, CB Performance is starting to really push with their fuel injection on stuff
1: yeah and uh
0: heads that were on the car at the time were what
1: heads were comp Eliminators.
0: so comp eliminators those were
1: the first heads i bought because i was always a big go big or go home type of guy right Val- <laughs> what, the, what were the valve size on those uh 40 and 38 or
0: 48 and 38 rather.
1: Yeah. 48 38 wow go big or go home
0: yeah that's it right <laughs> so you get this setup and in, in this particular setup you're running mid 13s and the Duran Kafer series starts to kick in, and you're starting to see guys. When that f- series first kicks off, because you're one of the first guys in that series, right? Like, like yeah. you're at the you're at, at the beginning. In the beginning, you're yeah. there. What are the cars running typically?
1: Well, Mike Gagan's car is running twelve 0s Let's
0: pause for two seconds. All right. What's the What are the requirements for that class?
1: Okay, basically, mm-hmm. Duran Kafer Cup was based on a DKP model. Okay, Cal look clean. Um, full,
0: body, full, full body, full body street car. Yeah, it, ba- could,
1: it could have uh, Nerf bars on it or mm-hmm. bumpers. Um, most of those cars had either BRMs or Porsche alloys. Right. Um, no goofy paint jobs. You know, just ultra clean. And that's
0: it, and that is that kind of your style at the time. Like you're you're that was, into that style. That
1: was my style with the Mopars too.
0: So it figured perfect. Like you wanted period correct classic. Classic street race look.
1: Yeah, I wanted it to look like a like a regular street car on the outside.
0: Yeah. So you get this car, you're in there, and you're casual. Your initial thing, obviously, we all get competitive when we race. Right. Now the parameters change. Like, hey, it's a it's a super nice car. I mean, it's really really clean car. And now you start racing the Duran kafer everybody's running how fast at the time? Which which I mean, you you roll in their mid thirteens. Everybody's kind of thirteens, mid thirteens.
1: No, I, I was pretty much middle of the road. Okay. And the faster DKP guys, which was uh, Mike Gagan and Jose, mm-hmm. they were running 12 O's, and they they brought you know high compression and race gas to the scene. So, not really what you would call a street car, right? But still street legal,
0: right? And so, what, what did that become? Kind of a contentious point in the thing, like, well, when when are we run race gas, that's not really a street car. Like how how did that start? Did that ruffle some feathers in the group?
1: No, um, it may have it may have with some people, right. but I was of the of the attitude that well this is this is their deal. Sure. You know, I was invited to come join. Yeah. They made the rules, so I'll just
0: work within the rules.
1: Work within the rules.
0: So what's the first move you make?
1: First step was uh, CBZFIA.
0: And, it's, and at this time, there's nobody running EFI no, in none. that class.
1: No. And that, that raised a couple of eyebrows, you know, because those guys were all 48 IDAs. Sure.
0: They're, they're subscribed to that and that alone. And, you, and you're and you kind of a, are you looking at like, well, I think technology could win this battle?
1: Well, there was that. Um, a lot of it was a cost factor because the, at the time, the CB EFI was more economical.
0: How much was the EFI set up at the time when you got into it?
1: See, I think I paid
0: because remember, racing's Volkswagens is cheaper. Yeah, it is. <laughs> right.
1: See, I think I paid. I don't know, seven, eight hundred bucks for the setup
0: for the EFI setup. Yeah. Complete.
1: Yeah, it was their it was their first generation system that okay. used uh, knobs to change yep, the I ratio. yeah. I remember
0: it. I remember it. It was. I had I had one. I never. Okay, I have to be honest, truth be told, I never really read the instructions, but I could never figure just by turning the dial how to get anything out of it, and I had the turbo EFI set up, but uh, it, it was a little frustrating to me, but yeah. then again, I didn't read the instructions, so my my bad, right?
1: Well, I found out that they had little ports in the side of the box that, that output uh, an electrical voltage.
0: Right, it would change the resistance or so the signal.
1: You f- I found out that when you change that, you know, it would, it would change the voltage that the unit would see, and you could dial in with that, and you could tell where you were by reading that voltage. Like, for example, at wide open throttle, it would read four volts. Okay. To fatten it up, you t- turn it till it read four and a half or something. So, I used that for a number of years, and then I got involved with a racing series. And
0: in... now, pause one second. When you start, when you switch from the 48 or from the 40s. To the EFI, what's your difference in performance? Or are you struggling at first?
1: Struggling at first, I got it to run 13 flat, and then Anthony De Torre, who was working at CB at the time, mm-hmm. doing heads. He took my heads and ported the living snot
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, after that, I ran my first 12-second pass with car.
0: With still the same size motor? Yeah. I mean most of these guys you're running against I mean you're running a 2165 most of the guys are running 23.32s. 2332s right. or bigger. So for you it's it's a matter of I'm going to I'm going to win with what I brought. Like that's I'm your gonna, attitude. I'm going
1: to do the best I can. <laughs> right. With what I got. Yeah. And I'll just keep at it until I get to where I need to get. Right. So I also start working with uh, Frenchie Dehu who was who was uh, judging the show portion. Sure. Because that was half of the score
0: yeah was the quality of the car
1: so i was coming in third fourth place in the show portion so i asked him what i could do to improve that and he pointed out all the flaws in the car because he was he was using concourse style judging not by how the wow factor right. how many imperfections the car had
0: and so so what, give me an example of some of the things that were on that list
1: well, for example, um, I had the the bumper brackets powder coated gray when I first built the car. Right. He said it looks like primer. You should change them to black. So I did.
0: So they were a matte gray. They're matte gray. But Ch-
1: changed them to black. He said your uh, your uh, trim has some has some dings in it. If so I put new trim on. He says your fender lip is you know and your body lines are this and so yeah. I worked all that stuff out. And uh, by 2001, I was scoring 99 points.
0: In the show portion? In the show portion. So now. And then we show up to Vegas. Yes.
1: And, you know, all the DKP guys are out there in full force. And we are about a half second behind, the fastest runners.
0: A half second? A half
1: second behind. So the car's still running into 12s. You know, at that track, because it's altitude. And those guys are running 12 flat. One of them ran in the high 11s, I think. So I'm half second behind the front runner. And I ended up winning. Really? Yeah. And they got they got a little incensed about that.
0: Now, you won because the consistency of your runs plus your show points. Yeah,
1: my average runs, runs were really... Were, you know, within a few hundreds of each other, like,
0: like really consistent.
1: But that, I was probably fourth place as far as the performance section went. Right. But I was in first place by a healthy margin <laughs> in the show portion,
0: which would then level out. Yeah.
1: So they got a little irritated about it, and you uh, know, I said, "Well, you know." You guys wrote the rules. Yeah, you guys wrote the rules. Don't get mad. I'm playing the game with your rules.
0: Now let me ask you this: Being from Central California, how was it in the in the Duran K for competing against the the DKP guys?
1: We had a term called the orange curtain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Really? So tell me about the orange curtain.
1: It seemed, from our perspective, Mm -hmm. that anything north of the orange curtain to them. Did not exist. Interesting. So we were—I guess you would call us anybody from north, North of Bakersfield, north, right? Was, uh, not to be taken seriously. That's I, the feeling we got. Sure. Now.
0: Now, when you say we,
1: we because there was, there was, a, there was a host of. Northern California guys in the series
0: too. And were you getting was CB kind of working with you quite a bit because yeah by this time of you're you're really working on trying to develop the system which is beneficial to them yes. and to you right.
1: Yeah. And they saw they saw some value in that apparently, and they started helping me out with some with some parts and some guidance. And like
0: hey, we're working on some new stuff. Were you getting any new stuff that they were working on that you could try to experiment with on your car?
1: They were helping me mostly with maintenance. Uh huh. And that really helped, you know, because by this time I was finding the weak links in the car. Sure. You know, and they were they were many in the early days.
0: And in this twenty one sixty five, you're you're now if you're a half second behind this guy, so you're running mid to low twelves at yeah. this time.
1: And then by by two thousand three mm-hmm. I had built a new motor with the help of C B. Twenty three thirty two with all the good stuff in it. And uh, I finally got away from the street tires because everybody was running slicks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I put slicks on it, broke transmission right away. So CB helped me. CB and Rancho helped me out with my first Type Two box.
0: Because your car, if I'm not mistaken, is the one they do in the magazine article where they did they t- use your car in the magazine where they break down the Type Two conversion yeah. with the yeah. so. Let's talk a little bit about that because was a lot of people have been doing that, but really it's more of a race car thing. It's been less of a street car thing. And your car kind of qualified as a street car, so it was a pretty big deal. So tell everybody what the conversion is. You convert from a swing axle to to
1: a, to a Type 2 transmission. Which is IRS. Yeah. Well,
0: and instead of doing we, CV joints, we I did, mean—
1: we did the Foltz axle, swing axle conversion.
0: Which is, for our listeners that don't know, which is what?
1: Basically, it attaches U-joint yokes where the CV drive flanges are on the transmission.
0: A lot like the Corvair. The Corvair suspension right. is just like that, dual dual U-joints. And
1: then it uses a special set of axles that have uh, a yoke on the on the drive end of the axle with the VW brake system on the, on the outboard side.
0: And, and at this time... So I, And I'll reference in the show notes which Hot VWs it was where they did the breakdown of the conversion to the bus box. But the reason for going to the bus box is what?
1: Um, I was breaking a ring and pinion about every six runs. And then finally, I show up to Irwindale and very first run out of the box on a fresh transmission it splits the case wide open. On the
0: Holy crap. The just on the launch, you just cracked, break the, the whole case.
1: So at that point, I was done. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm going to sell this shit by Mustangs.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. Right.
1: <laughs> so, but then uh, CB and Rancho came along and said, hey, we'll help you out here. You know, we'll get you into Type 2. So...
0: now. It, your step so at the same time you decide to step up motor size and you were, we're going twenty three thirty two and trans or now your twenty three thirty two is breaking your transmissions. Twenty
1: three thirty two is breaking the trans.
0: Now are you have you dynoed this car before you switch the trannies? No. So you do, this is seat of the pants dyno.
1: That motor well it's et slip dyno. Right right. Yeah. That motor has only been motor in the blue car has only been dynoed
0: twice. Now et slip dyno weight of the car yeah. quarter mile time what's the estimated horsepower at the wheels?
1: At that time, two
0: hundred and forty on a twenty-three thirty-two yeah. naturally aspirated, yeah. which it's so funny because in today's day and age, people see two hundred two hundred thirty. You said yeah. two hundred thirty horsepower. Two thirty, two forty. 240. It doesn't sound like a lot of horsepower, but putting that in perspective of Volkswagens, out of a VW engine case that puts out to the wheels maybe thirty-eight horsepower on yeah. a fifty-horse motor once it goes through the drivetrain. Yeah, that's
1: that's big. That's a big jump.
0: Yeah, that's all. That's that's. And you've got eight times the horsepower.
1: You've got a car that weighs 1,900 pounds with a driver.
0: It's fully loaded. That's not. That's not a. That's not a lightened car.
1: No, it's it's false steel with glass windows and roll-up windows and bumpers and all that stuff.
0: So now you're breaking trannies. You decide I'm going bus box. I'm selling this piece of crap, or I'm going bus box. Like because it's getting expensive. It's like every race is. It's enough to come out to a race weekend by itself. Let alone. If now you've gone to race weekend and it's time to start from zero,
1: exactly. You know you spend all the money to go to a race. You know you've got the entry fee, you've got the travel money to get there because nothing's close. To no, close to Clovis, <laughs> right? And you know you've got you've got your hotel stay and meals, and you know you've got you know three or four hundred dollars wrapped up in the race before you even make a run.
0: And now what's the? It's a four-speed bus box. Yes. So what's the first time now you get the car back together? How does that come together? How, how does that turn out for you?
1: Well, let's see. I think I had it at uh, Phoenix the first time with the bus box. And right out of the gate, it runs its best time ever. What do you run? 1180.
0: 11. So now you you go right from low 12s, 1180 with the new bus box, new gearing. Yep. Bigger motor, wow! And so that—how does that fare for everybody (laughs) from the guy from Clovis, who's now pierced the orange curtain? Yeah. (laughs) Now
1: we ended up winning the Durin Caffrey Cup Championship in 2002 and 2003, and in 2003 we won every single, every single one. Wow! So by this time, we're on par performance-wise with the fastest.
0: And they Actu- can't touch you show-wise because everybody's focused on performance. Because right. th- if they can pull ahead in time, they don't got to be so detailed on the backside. So, in essence, does your performance overall push people to get more detailed on their car? I mean, are people are people showing up at the next race with a little more fine tuning? Oh, absolutely. Are, are you looking at their flaws in their car and being like, "Yep, he's got this. Absolutely. He's got this."
1: Because the last the last race of 2003, I did not win the show portion.
0: Really? Yeah. So you really kind of, you went from leading the pack on the show side to now forcing everyone to up their game on the detail side. So who is there new players that come in or existing guys that fine-tune their stuff?
1: Well, the class always had guys coming in, guys going out, mm-hmm. and uh, the guy that won the show portion on that particular Las Vegas event was uh, the world-famous Buddy Hale.
0: I remember with the blue 50, 54, 55, 55, 55? yeah, Yeah, and and of course, when you're competing against Buddy Hale, this guy can spend an unbelievable amount of time on detail, and that that car was super clean. It
1: was incredible.
0: Yeah, I think it's the last car Buddy owned. (laughs) I mean, he's owned a couple, but he's never really had a finished car since then, right, because people saw the work he did, and then he just got...
1: I lost touch with Buddy after that, so I don't, I don't know. I've heard that.
0: Yeah, Buddy built my Type Thirty Four gear. I had the Type Thirty Four gear that uh, Buddy Hell built it had twenty six hundred Type Four in it, fuel injected, um, a, a bunch of that stuff. But so you come out, you get you get beat by Buddy Hell in Las Vegas, yeah. and then what happens after that?
1: After that. Um, after the end of that season I realized the car is starting to show its age mm-hmm. you, know, you race these cars they get chipped up it's a beating you know you you, you have them apart you, know, well, you scratch them
0: if I'm not mistaken that car would pull the front wheels off the ground when you would launch I mean
1: oh
0: yeah I mean that that car I mean for a Gia a was, full steel bodied Gia that's not an easy task
1: that last pass mark mark uh, had the wheels off the ground in first second and third Really? Yeah, it, it pulled the wheels about a couple inches in third gear.
0: Wow. I mean, that's that's a lot of power. So, uh,
1: we're starting to get those six-inch tires to work. <laughs>
0: so, so, yeah, so now as as the car is starting to show its age, you're like, okay, I have I came, I saw, I conquered.
1: And now I want to race real. Okay. So we move into super gas.
0: So now you're like, to heck with Doren Kafer. She's chipped. She's not her prettiest. We're going Duran Kafer. I'm not
1: going to spend another... Four thousand dollars to get it repainted, just to just to stay competitive. Right. So we move into Super Gas, and I have become really good friends with uh, John Sugar, Mike Sheldon, Alan Weiss. And
0: for those that don't know, Super Gas, what's the criteria for Super Gas?
1: Super Gas is an index class based on an 11.90 lapse time. And
0: so you got to run 11.90, no faster.
1: 11.90, no faster.
0: And it can be, other than that, it's wide open or naturally aspirated. It's an NA no, class? No. You can be turbo. You can be anything you want. You can do anything you want. Is there a weight minimum? Nope. So it's it's 1190. That's it. Absolutely. Run what you brung. Dune buggy, gear right. turbo, doesn't matter.
1: Yeah, there was a fellow from Sacramento named Jim Martin that had a really competitive uh, buggy. You know, and he still races that same, same car to this day.
0: And In so, fact, he is here. Yeah, so, so how long do you run in super gas?
1: Oh, oh. I run in super gas. Let's see. I think I ran it for about, <laughs> about eight or nine years.
0: Eight or nine years in that class. So now total time behind the wheel, starting in 99, so you're into 2010.
1: Yeah, in 2010, we're still running Super Gas, and we're also racing some V8 events mm-hmm. in Bakersfield.
0: Oh, and wow, so, so now that you, you just love racing so much, like, to heck with it, there's more racing events in Bakersfield. We'll hit a couple of those, too.
1: Yeah, of course, I had the full support of my family, my wife in particular, because she just loved the social aspect
0: of it. Right. Right. And what's it like when you start racing? Were were you always racing against V8s too, or did you like start like going into the V8 thing and then seeing how people interpreted VWs in the V8 world?
1: Um. Well, we had we had run in some in some events down in Bakersfield, you know, during this course of time between 2000 and 2012,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and eventually we got we got the respect of those racers. And we became part of the in crowd, I guess, because our performance.
0: You're a consistent guy we were that's. Consistent,
1: we were winning rounds.
0: You're not only down the track. And in 2009, we, we took the car to the Bakersfield March Meet,
1: and we were the first VW, the only VW, to win in any class
0: in the March Meet ever really yeah now the march meet in the class you're in what was the limit? was it a time limit? was it a like an index class
1: no it was it was just a dial in handicap thing you know just
0: uh consistency
1: yeah they just call it hot rod so you know it was uh you picked your dial in and you ran your rounds and it was it was an eight round i mean that's
0: that's you're racing it's automatics yeah i mean the hardest car to beat is an automatic yeah because that shift's consistent, it's pressure. Unless they have some sort of failure, that car is going to be—I mean—dead on every time all the way through.
1: Well, you have to race. You, you have to race people that are better than you
0: to get better.
1: In order to get better, and racing against the V eights, I think uh, made me a better racer.
0: Now, and that's all quarter mile. All quarter mile. And when you guys are deciding to race in this, in this uh, Bakersfield. You know, the, the V8 racing in the class, what's the class called that you're racing in? Hot rod. Hot rod class. Yeah. Which is kind of anything goes, anything consistency, goes. Yeah. it's dial in and do it. Now, let me ask this question. Knowing what the car ran and being a fuel injection ninja, did you dial back the car for consistency?
1: For Bixfield, no. Um, what was interesting was by this time, I had abandoned the electronic fuel injection
0: And switch to?
1: Mechanical fuel injection.
0: Wait a second. Why would you go from electronic to mechanical? Because to the layman like myself, that seems like you're going backwards a little bit.
1: Well, I felt that I needed to learn more about EFI to be able to work with it. Mm -hmm. And mechanical injection was something I knew and understand from my V8 days.
0: So when you say mechanical injection, what system are you talking about?
1: Hillborn based
0: So you find a Hillborn setup for VW. Yeah. And for some of those guys that don't understand, how how does... Nobody as, understands. As, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as simple as it is, how does a Hillborne injection setup run?
1: Well, essentially, it's, it's based on fuel pump output.
0: And what drives the fuel pump?
1: It's driven either off a belt or the end of the camshaft.
0: Okay, so it's got it's gear-driven to some degree.
1: Yeah, so the fuel pump speed is geared toward, to the engine speed. Mm-hmm. The faster it runs, the more fuel it puts out. And you jet it by bypassing fuel back to the tank rather than increasing the nozzle size at the ports. So,
0: so you, you create more back pressure on the, the bleed line going to the tank to create more fuel pressure going into the engine.
1: Exactly. To lean it out, you put a bigger jet in.
0: So it has a return line, which creates line pressure. Yes. Okay. I'm not that smart. And for me to figure that out, it's pretty good at explaining it. So... Because I keep hearing people say with Hillborn, there's a pill. Yeah. They call it a pill. Is that's, that the jet? That's what it is. It's a bypass jet. <laughs> What's so funny is like, I've always thought like, wow, I wonder if this pill looks like because they call it a pill, but I mean, it must be shaped like a pill or something. That
1: yeah, le- it looks like an Advil, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know. I've never really broken it down, but you've done a good enough job explaining it to me that a simpleton like myself can figure it out. Well, so.
1: It's a system that they've been running on aircraft since the
0: 1920s. Because it's it's fail-safe. Fail like, it, it just... It
1: can run upside down.
0: So now, and it's, and it's an always-on EFI setup. It's right. always squirting fuel. It's like a carburetor. Yes. But injected and you can you can kind of you're more fine-tuning the amount of fuel you're shooting in there yes so now what's the difference when you feel that you've topped out the uh the efi what's the difference that you get from efi to the mechanical injection as far as performance or do you just get more consistency
1: well the big advantage to run on mechanical injection is that it opens the door to alternative fuels so i built the I built a mechanical system around running methanol.
0: So, running methanol. Okay, now we've crossed the line. Now we've crossed the line. Okay, I'm just your average layperson. That's off. I'm your average layperson. When you make the switch to methanol, what exactly are the advantages? Is obviously you can get more bang, which is going to give you more horsepower but there are some disadvantages to it as well, correct? A few, a few disadvantages. So when you make that switch, what are the things you have to take into consideration? Because now you're, you're running the hot rod world, so you're like, okay, for me to step this up, i got to go more fuel, bigger bang.
1: Right. With with uh, methanol, the air-fuel ratio is completely different.
0: So it's not a 14, it's not the, it's not what do they call one it, one stoic one. of 14-7-1, uh, no, something like that?
1: At race operation, the... The air fuel ratio you're shooting for with methanol is around five to one.
0: Five to one.
1: Five
0: to one. Thank you. Well, that's at, huge. At
1: idle, it's about three point seven to
0: one. And methanol from I mean I, I guess really when you're buying race gas at that point, what's the cost differential?
1: Methanol is about half the cost of, of race gas, fuel. Sometimes less.
0: Well, now what do they use? What do they normally use methanol for?
1: Fertilizer.
0: Oh, really? And
1: you use it to make. <laughs> So
0: being from Clovis, <laughs> <laughs> so being from Clovis, uh, you can access methanol fairly. I mean, you can get yeah, it anywhere, you can, but you can get it down to the it's more of a farmer joke, you know. Yeah you, but
1: could, yeah, you can. get it down to the farm supply, the fuel, farm fuel supply.
0: Nice. Bob's and methanol. <laughs> and now, when you when you so you buy methanol, you've got to jet it up. You. You, you got to
1: set the system up for
0: it. So. An example of miles per gallon type thing or fuel consumption per run. Okay, that's a good one. What's the difference?
1: With racing gas, it would take me about a half a gallon to make a run.
0: Hold on a second. When you're running 11 seconds in your car, you're burning a half a gallon of fuel in one pass.
1: Of gasoline, yeah. Methanol changes So to make a run with methanol. It uses just about as much fuel at low RPM as it does making the pass. So the drive up to the lanes. Is
0: it half a a gallon?
1: The pass and coming back uses about a gallon and a half of fuel.
0: Holy crap.
1: So you're using.
0: That's more weight too.
1: Well, you just just have to put fuel in every time you run the car.
0: But the bang difference is what?
1: It raises the dynamic compression ratio because it takes up more volume in the cylinder.
0: So that's how methanol works.
1: And it's got it's got it's got a cooling quality as well. Uh, really? Yeah. At at the end of a run, you know, in conditions like this, you drive it back through the lanes, back to your pit spot. The heads are maybe 150 degrees.
0: So so in, in essence, running a car on methanol probably I highly doubt, I don't know, I doubt it's legal to do it on the street. And it's, I mean, your fuel, your miles per gallon goes in the toilet, but the survivability of running running the car, because everything stays so cool and you don't get these crazy heat cycles, you're going to get some more longevity out of it?
1: In theory. Um, For example, I've driven it to the car shows in downtown Mm Clovis, you know,
0: eight
1: mile trip, round trip, Mm -hmm. and use six gallons of fuel.
0: Now, let me ask this it's question. Called,
1: it's not what you call
0: economical. Now, I'm going <laughs> to so ask this question. But it didn't I, get hot. So I buy Mike Lawless's. He leaves to me just as a gift. He gives me the car with the fuel injection on there, right? With the, Can you switch the pill and say, here's my gas pill, here's my street pill, or no?
1: No. Because you have, you have to change all the nozzles.
0: And, okay, so it's a bigger deal. You're, a bigger you're running deal. bigger orifices because it's mechanical. You want to get more in there. Yeah, you got to get out. Makes sense. You
1: got to get out your math book and figure out pounds per pounds Uh, per hour of the fuel uh, that the the motor needs.
0: I'm understanding now because I'm sitting here thinking like, wow, it seems pretty cool, but it can't be that simple. You just drop the pill. The the pill change is more for like precision tuning. Yes. The jets are for the range you want. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So I'm not. I'm a simpleton, but I'm trying to follow along. And well, this way, it's helping my listeners follow along as well.
1: And the major reason for the change to mechanical injection and methanol was we wanted to run these nostalgia events at Bakersfield.
0: Now, and, and that and that was adding nostalgia to the car by doing the the Hillborn setup, or
1: well, EFI was not allowed.
0: Oh. You could do mechanical. I could do
1: mechanical injection.
0: And you could do like a Bosch mechanical, which is super uh, uber complicated could, and reinventing <laughs> the wheel. Right. Now, now I'm gonna ask you a question. When you decided I'm switching to a Hilborn setup, you just find it at a swap meet. Do they still make it brand new? Like, how? Ha- or are you now on the hunt to put pieces together?
1: I gotta go hunt, put pieces together. I found a set of intakes that fit the old uh, Bug Pack. Heads, you know, that were similar
0: to the CB stuff uh-huh. or something like
1: that, whatever they're called. And uh, I had to rebuild those because, you know, shaft bores were wore out, throttle bores were wore out,
0: and uh,
1: I found a uh, injector pump and everything else. I had to buy direct from Holborn.
0: Now, what does the pump run off of?
1: Pump runs off the either the either fit fit up a belt drive to it so it runs off the crankshaft, or you run it off the end of the camshaft.
0: And what did yours run off of the belt?
1: My first one, my normally aspirated version, ran off the belt. Okay. So Gilborn had the belt drive in stock.
0: So you could get a, an adapter goes right a new pulley bolt and a gear and a gear and it runs it
1: runs a Gilmore belt off. The fuel pump is right okay. where the alternator normally goes.
0: So you at this time because you so now because you're running methanol, you don't need a cooling system. Nope. So now you just get a so and that's pretty fairly easy to find as a mechanical injection pump mount instead of place of the generator, or do you gotta make that? No,
1: the only thing that was unique to the BW was the block mount itself because the the actual pump drive was mm-hmm. the same for anything. It's just how you mounted it to the motor that was different.
0: So is that the fabrication you had to do to make that work? Yeah. So now you get that. You're you're doing your calculations and saying, you know what, since this is my race car now, and I'm going methanol, no need to run a cooling system anymore because it'll literally, I mean, by the time you get back to the track, no cooling system, you're at 150 degrees? Yeah. Wow. Except uh-huh
1: when you have to start hot lapping.
0: Oh, because, like run after run nonstop. Yeah,
1: because the heat will build. So... At the 2009 March meet, Uh we get there, and I got 15 minutes on the motor. motor's completely fresh. It's the beginning of the year. Everything's new. Motor's great. Car starts out running 1170 or something. Well, by by the fourth round, they're running us 15 minutes apart because we're the last class to run. So you get done with the run, you come back the lanes. So...
0: And this is just an eliminator, like yes. a dial in and elimination.
1: Yeah. So we would stop, top off the tank, go back up the lanes and run again.
0: We're now you're checking are you checking cylinder temp at this time and, and head town? No. Okay.
1: And by this time it's gonna be eleven,
0: twelve o'clock at Because 'Cause you've never ran that back to back before up to this point?
1: No. No,
0: you know. You used to like this. You run, take yeah. your one pass, and then you get a two hour break and exactly. Okay.
1: So the car's starting to be unhappy. (laughs) So I was I was really good friends with Troy Palmer at the time, and he was he was running his car there at the March Meet too. And I said, you know, maybe I ought to back out. And he says, "Dude, you're at the March Meet. You're going round.
0: Go big or go." You can fix it.
1: (laughs) So, you know, he stayed to help me, and uh, you know, we uh, we kept going, Motors to build more and more heat. You know, and it's becoming more and more unhappy. And by the time the final round came along, I had dialed down to, like, 12.05 or something.
0: And you and you have the ability to adjust your dial-in time? Yeah. And you're seeing what you're dropping.
1: Yeah, it's, it's losing a couple miles an hour on every run. And we make the run. It's
0: 2 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my gosh.
1: There's dew on the track. I run about a 12.10 on a 12.02 dial. Oh, yeah. yay. Went around, and I'm going, holy freaking cow, I just want to march me.
0: Wow. And I drive up
1: to the time slip booth, and the motor shut itself off, and that was it.
0: It seized up?
1: It was locked up.
0: Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Now, when you tore this motor apart, what did you see when, like, as far as... It... The,
1: re- the ring gaps abutted solid and scraped the bores dry and, and just scored the cylinders.
0: Holy crap.
1: The funny thing is, is... 30 minutes later, it started.
0: So, everything when it cooled down, it,
1: it, it, it released and it started up, but you know, it had 20, 25, 30% lead down, so it was done. So, <laughs> now
0: you come in, so you come in and you win the, 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 the DKRC, uh, the DRKC two years in a row. Yeah. Kind of came, saw, conquered, looking for another challenge without. And your pursuit is, I want to still do this and not keep blowing tons of money. So you move to doing the nostalgia drags, thinking, you know what? I've switched to this methanol, and now I'm in a different world. It's close to my house. I can kind of stay this. And everybody's like, hey, Mike's disappeared from the world of VWs. But you're still wanting to race your VW. You're just not wanting to. Yeah,
1: we're still doing the VW events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're doing uh, you know the, the, the PRA uh, super gas thing. And we, uh, we won the championship in that in 2006. And, uh, so in that particular period of time, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, we made a lot of friends,
0: mm-hmm.
1: covered a lot of ground, you know, we raced in, we raced in Denver and I'd never been outside of, you know, hardly even in Nevada, let alone into Colorado. Mm-hmm. Right. So, wife and I made a made vacations out of those sure. out of those trips, and then it all came. Yeah. Pretty much came to an end in 2000. Yeah. Wife, <coughs> wife was diagnosed with cancer. Oh no. She battled for three years and lost it 2013 ah. <clears throat> excuse me after that fire kind of went out yeah and i i raced here and there and
0: just yeah. wasn't the same
1: it was not the same yeah i got remarried my new wife she uh she enjoys hearing about it but she doesn't want to be involved. right it's just too uncomfortable sure but Cindy, my first wife, she was totally into it. All in. All in. She supported everything. Yeah. And she was the one that convinced me to put the turbo on the car.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Now, talk to me about how you how you decide to go from, because now you went NA methanol to turbo. Yeah. Do you still go methanol turbo? Oh, yeah. So now, well, that's more heat.
1: It's more heat, but still management.
0: And so... Now it's just a straight-up blow-through system. Yes. And what kind of times are you getting out of the turbo car?
1: The fastest I've run with is 970 to 100. Holy
0: crap. I mean, that's a – like, from 11s to 9s is a whole different world, especially NHRA.
1: Yeah. Well, the first pass when I put the turbo on was 10.07.
0: Holy – and then did you you DQ because of your car wasn't up to spec for a 10-second pass?
1: No. Um,
0: or did we, you know you were headed there and your car was ready for it?
1: I didn't know what it was going to run, you know. Um,
0: Who made the turbo setup for you?
1: There was a fellow in Tennessee named Travis Quillen. Okay. Uh, this guy, he is heavily involved in the small tire, you know, the 10.5 tire V8 guys that are running, knocking on a three-second door in the eighth mile. And I asked him if he's interested in configuring the system for me.
0: Yeah.
1: And he was he was fascinated. Really? Yeah. So I sent I, I built an intake manifold and I sent him that along with the specs of the motor and what the expected performance level was. And he configured the system to make a maximum of six hundred horsepower.
0: 600 horsepower at 2332. That,
1: that's what the fuel system set up for. And uh, by the t- to backtrack, the very first pass was not 1015. Right. The third pass was is, 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 <laughs> is 1007. But uh, it took two passes to figure out that it wasn't getting enough fuel. So I just...
0: And that's dangerous on a... I mean...
1: Well, I knew what the signs were like. Yeah. When... You get into third or fourth gear and a car noses over, that's it. it
0: you're running off. out of gas, yeah.
1: So, a few sets of spark plugs, you know, you burn the electrodes off, you know, you're on the you're on the ragged edge. Right. So, we got it dialed in and I called Travis and he said, holy cow, I didn't think it was, you know, I didn't think it was going to use that much fuel. So,
0: So now you got to change injector jets and all yeah, that stuff? Just, just the pill size. Just the pill.
1: Yeah. So, we... It hasn't changed hardly at all since then.
0: Wow! And what did you? And, and the fastest time you ran was nine what?
1: Nine seventy at one forty-three.
0: Holy crap! And that was at what event?
1: That was at the Drag Fest in Bakersfield. But that was not the first nine-second pass. The first nine-second pass was at Bugarama in May of twenty thirteen. It was the last race. My first wife went, to. So she got to see a car run a 985. And Mark Tridley comes over and he says, one more time and you're done. <laughs>
0: so, Well, your last name is Lawless, so, you yeah, know. Yeah, but, you
1: know, this is, this is a guy with that last name that doesn't drive over the speed limit. <laughs> when I'm towing a car, it's, a perfectly legal 59 miles
0: an hour. Wow. Yeah. No, that's incredible. So I had no idea that that car ran in the nines because, you know, you like the big the big thing for the VWs around that time was like nine seconds and then pushing to the eights. And it seemed like once they crossed the nine-second barrier, then the eights were right there. You know what I mean? Right. But uh, that's, who else is doing that in a, GIA? in a full. It's still a full-bodied steel car? Yeah. So there's nothing, it's not one-piece front end, it's no. not Lexan windows, it's no, I mean, not... It's
1: got, a, it's got a deck lid on hinges, it's steel, and bumpers are steel, and the windows are glass. So really,
0: I mean, if you really wanted to, you could put that car in the 8s, if you really, really, like, aluminum well, front.
1: Let me, let me tell you about running 140 miles an hour on <laughs> It's kind of hairy on top.
0: Yeah, what size are those front tires?
1: Well, it's not that. It starts getting light. Turns know? into
0: an airplane wing?
1: You know, that car's always had the... Uh, the nickname the white knuckle ride and let me tell you son <laughs> at 140 that's some bitches in the white knuckle ride yeah so now it th- needs some it needs some uh, some S- aerodynamic some help.
0: downforce because there's no you don't have a wing on that car do you have a wing do you run a wing on that car now it's
1: got one now but it didn't bend
0: yeah, when I had Ron Loomis on the on the podcast, he said, you know, as he's it, it, he, they really had to start doing wings because the shape of a Volkswagen is like an airplane wing, and wing, yeah. you hit a certain mile an hour and it's getting lift. Yeah. So, so
1: the gear is a little different, but it's still the same thing. Yeah, you know, it's flat on the bottom
0: and right curved on the top. top. Yeah, well, like an airplane wing.
1: And uh, yeah, it was kind of hairy. So. I said, "Well, been there, done that. Right, uh, I'm, I'm good.
0: I mean, I, I you know, when you got in this VW hobby, did you think you would have all these milestones you would knock down one after the other, or was you... it
1: first got into it? No, I just, I just wanted to run a you know a little street car. You know,
0: <laughs> it'll be cheap.
1: It'll be cheap. You know, but uh, you know, even by the time it was running 11s, it was probably one of the world's most expensive 11 second cars.
0: What do you think?" Um, Couple questions. When you switch to the bus box, your tranny problems gone. Gone. How many passes do you get out of a trans now?
1: I put. Uh, or do
0: you now count it in seasons?
1: No, I counted in passes. I put uh, 400 runs on before I put the, pull the transmission out. To have Mike take a look
0: at it. And these are hard runs. Yeah. I mean. Record-setting runs at this point.
1: normally aspirated state, I was leaving the starting line at 8200 RPM.
0: Good grief. You know, so. And clutch? What clutch are you running?
1: Um, in those days, it was a stage one with a four puck. Wow. But now it's a, it's a stage four with a four puck.
0: And then you run the car. You get your best time. Things have changed in your life. You take a break for a while? Sort
1: of. I go through the motions. Mm-hmm. I make some runs here and there. Um, Mark and I at were uh, at the March meet in 2019, I think. And the uh, car had a fire. You know, got a little... Methanol fume build up in the engine bay and literally lit it off.
0: That's what I want to ask you. The dangers of with methanol is what is the vapor? It's, it's,
1: it's no different than gasoline.
0: Yeah, so it's,
1: it's, just, it's just that if it's on your arm and it's on fire, you can't see it. You just feel it.
0: like Ricky Bobby. I got the fire on me and he's running around a track.
1: Yeah, in fact, I caught my <laughs> first wife on fire once. First time I ran methanol in the Dodge. Really? Yeah, she was she was priming the stacks with the nozzle, and I'm cranking on a car and it back and it know, pops these through the injectors and she sprayed on her arm and she's on fire
0: <laughs> and she can't see it huh
1: <laughs> she didn't get hurt but uh you know it kind of
0: yeah you know, get your attention there's no question about that
1: yeah but, uh,
0: so now to t- 2019 you guys are at the march meet
1: we're at the march meet where car
0: gets fire and car
1: gets fire how bad um just enough singe paint um but
0: now, how do you know it's on fire if you can't see the fire, dude? Your car's on fire. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Like you're walking away from it, and everybody's like, "Hey, uh, I'm, I'm
1: driving down the return road, and, and there's flames coming out."
0: Holy cow!
1: So, at that race, it also drove through a brand new clutch, and I'm at this point, I'm, you know, the fire's kind of gone
0: out. Right, right. And
1: uh, I just say, you know what?
0: Let's Shelf this thing for now. I'm done. Yeah.
1: So, I go, to, I go to the March meet with Mark the following year, and we start talking about taking a motor out of the blue car and building front of the direction. So, we get all fired up about that. We start doing our research and looking for stuff for sale. And uh, when, we, when we figured out what it was actually going to cost and what we'd have to do to do it, you know. Mark says, eh, I don't know. I said, well, why don't you just race a blue car? And he goes, okay. <laughs> so I said, come get it. It's yours. He was going to get it anyway.
0: And you see that he's got the passion to race. He's got the passion. So now today, you're here today. So, How many times have you guys been racing? Is this one of your first VW venture back to? Oh, or no, well, you've been doing the Fast 4 stuff for a little bit?
1: Uh, we did... Uh, we did the one in Reading earlier this year, and that was the first one that I'd been to. But uh, Mark had been to the events and was really excited about it. Yeah. And he told me that the GIA fit perfectly into the light class. All we had to do was change tire size.
0: What size were you running when you were in the... Eight and a half inch wide. Range. Eight and a half inch. So now you got to... It's a
1: little bitty six inch tire.
0: Now you got to downsize. How's it been a challenge for you going from an eight inch tire to a six inch?
1: Well, the car's pretty violent on the on the launch. So it was initially at Reading, it would hit the wheelie bar really hard, unload, and just do the slam slide. the
0: front end down.
1: So we had to, we were actually able to make some improvements, but. The wheelie bars were just, just didn't have enough adjustment in them to keep them from hitting hard and unloading the back tires. So, last couple months, we changed the, changed the wheelie bar configuration to bring them up. We changed the pivot location of the trailing arms up to... To...
0: Rebound to or to... A-
1: to get it to plant the back tires. Loosen up the front. And... Uh, you know, it's, it, it has responded positively.
0: So, in which class are you running here? The small tire class? Yes. It, uh, the, they call it the light.
1: Yeah, which is kind of funny because the light cars are heavy and the heavy cars are light. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're so right now. You're running what in this class? time-wise
1: uh mark just ran at 661
0: i'm sorry mark mark your son's running is, now running. how does that make you feel to see your car on the road like the torch being continued with your son it's
1: freaking awesome i gotta tell you yeah i'm just happy as can be being pit bitch I'll tell you. right you're just <laughs> you're like
0: you know what i don't got the nerves on the line i don't got i don't got to look at everybody when i come back like yeah i completely flobbed it there's a different kind of pressure but it, but seeing your son take over something that you were so driven and passionate about i mean that's got to be an awesome feeling
1: it is an awesome feeling and it's really hard to describe but uh, you know i i always thought that i'd have trouble giving it up yeah because i couldn't imagine not racing there for a while right but uh yeah he's he's got it
0: yeah well and, and you know and he's got a bit of responsibility on his shoulders because that's a legendary car. I mean, that car. Listen for especially because you triumphed through the orange curtain, you kicked butt, you made a name for you, brought Clovis to the map. That car, in and of itself, it was. There were several feature tech articles about things that you were doing on that car that were like new improvements in the industry. Right. For example fuel injection
1: fuel injection um i don't think i ever did an article on that um
0: but i mean that it was it, it set precedence putting yeah, fuel else, injection
1: nobody hardly anybody else is doing
0: that. right on the map yeah. but the bus box conversion
1: bus bu, bus box was something that hardly anybody did back in the early 2000s
0: right who gave you the idea like who did you see running it where you thought i had to do that
1: who gave me the idea was rick Tomlinson. Oh, yeah? Yeah, from CB. He goes, "Uh, we should put a bus box in that car. I said, "You you know, that's a lot of money. I can't afford that. Right. And he says, we'll help you out. So I thought about it, and I called Rick. I said, okay. So he hooked up with uh, I mean, Mike at Rancho.
0: And really, that car was known as like the CB Performance Gia, like it because of the branding of the of of the the fuel injection stuff. Yeah, now, right. did that car have anything to do with in some of the tech articles in regards to the rear stabilizing the rear yoke, the the Duran K for traction bar stuff?
1: Yeah. Um
0: because I remember that's at one of those times where it's like people are trying not to. Because normally the first thing is they just jump right to front end, rear end, roll cage, tying it all together.
1: Yeah. To, well, most of the guys were running the the Bird Traction bar. Right. You know, and which is which is all fine and stuff, but then you know the, this fellow from Texas came out with this idea for the bar that connects the shock towers shock together mm-hmm. and has diagonals, comes down to the end of the frame lines. So he gave me the prototype. and. Uh,
0: what difference did it make launching? Was it for you like incredible?
1: Not incredible, but it didn't have to run the bird traction bar. Anymore.
0: Noticeable. Yeah. Noticeable difference, kind of feeling a little more stiff in the rear right. and not having to run that traction bar.
1: But even then, you know, there was still quite a bit of flex. And I ended up building some some stands off of that and sandwiching that to the vertical wall of the package tray. Yeah. Which stiffened that up considerably. Made it, so after that, you know, I was good to go.
0: And that car would just hook and book. Man. That's great. I'm so excited to see the car back out here. I'm glad I got to see you out here because I've been wanting to, to chat with you because you were you were the guy that to me was putting EFI on the map for especially for fast cars. I mean, because of your car I bought, I ended up buying an EFI Turbo setup for I had a, a draw through turbo turbo city setup on my 60 66 bug. When I moved the motor my 67, I ended up pulling the trigger and buying the CB setup because I saw your car and I'm like, Man, that car's fast and running injection. And it dynoed more power, but because of the different setup in a different car, it ran slower quarter mile. But I mean, I went from uh, I think it was a hundred and uh, hundred and four horse and 142 pound feet of torque. To 155 horse and 175 pound feet of torque just by going with the CB injection blow through setup, and that was the stage one with the dials on it. You know,
1: well EFI's been a good way to go for a lot of guys, and uh, I told Mark that if he ever gets fed up with the mechanical injection, you know, it's his car, EFI. Yeah. When you
0: guys are running out here, are you running on uh, you running on nitro or are you running on fuel? Still methanol. Still methanol. Yeah, methanol. It's oh, the
1: perfect fuel for racing VWs to me.
0: Yeah, because you don't... Are you still no cooling system? No cooling system. Well, I'm going to come over and get some video of the car so I can put that out on our on sure. our little YouTube channel. And, sure. man, anything before we uh, wrap up that you wanted to give thanks to or any anybody, any...
1: Well, I always got to give thanks to CB Performance, you know, because they supported me all through those years. Yeah. Mike at Rancho. You know, he's uh, he's been keeping that bus transmission alive
0: Now you said something you pulled it after 400 passes you 400 said 400 and what what did it look like inside
1: uh, I had to replace the synchros
0: 400 passes How many would you get out of a type 1 box Four it's almost seems ri- <laughs> it almost seems ridiculous if people want to run 200 horsepower to exactly. even put a type 1 in there
1: Well you, you you think about the long-term economics You know you spend 2500 dollars for the top of the line type 1 box you get a dozen runs out of it if you're lucky. You're sending it back, Another you're putting a ring and pinion in it at the very least. Right. Maybe you're changing the case because it's wallowed out the, the pinion bearing or something. So, over the over the space of 100 runs, you know, you've got a $2,500 transmission and a $500 ring and pinion change.
0: Yeah. You
1: know, so you add that up. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a chunk of change.
0: Yeah, and what's a bus box run? Bus
1: box, you know, at, at that point in time was about four grand. 400 runs later, <laughs> I'm sending it to Rancho because I'm getting a grind in second gear.
0: Right. You didn't blow it. You're not picking up pieces on the track and getting booted. <laughs> After
1: 600 runs, I had to replace a ring and pinion. Wow. So, there's your economics right there. Well,
0: that's wild.
1: So these days, I'm sure a Type Two box costs a bit more than four grand. But,
0: yeah, and you're you know, running so a a Type One, three rib or six rib.
1: Uh, the first one was a five rib, five a rib case, mm-hmm. and uh, this after I don't know it had to have fifteen hundred runs on it, and the uh, <laughs> well I raced my car.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, that yeah. gear has been seen everywhere.
1: There for a period of time, I was putting hundred runs a year on it. Wow. But uh, the pinion bearing board in the case got a little, little loose, so Mike gave me another case, and it's a three-rib, and it's just, just as good as anything.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
1: It's still got the old Berg, the original Berg Intermediate housing that was the only thing available back in 2003. And, uh, you know, I've had flirtations with pro rings, didn't like them, went back to synchros, and when it's it's just a... It's just a bulletproof transmission.
0: Man, that's awesome.
1: You don't have to you don't have to worry about it when you're out there on a starting line, you know, when you're pouring the coals to the motor and letting her go.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. And that's that's just wild. You
1: don't have to worry about clutch management or You know, preloading a transmission or anything else, you know, before you leave, just bang it. You just,
0: just let it rip. So on that car, you don't use, you don't use like a, a, like preload the trans or any of stuff. You just drop the clutch. Dump it, yep. Old school. Old school. (laughs) I love it. I love it, man. Mike, I'm so glad I got to grab you while I was here. I'm really glad you came by. I mean, I've I've learned a ton. I got to know a lot about the gear that I didn't know, and uh, I really. I really uh, thank you for having that car on the track so many times and inspiring so many of us, man, to, to build cars and know that you can oh. you can be outside the orange curtain and, and make moves, <laughs> make moves yeah. in the scene.
1: You know, it's 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 a little bit on a humbling side, you know, to know that uh, you know the car has gotten the attention that it has. Yeah, and that a lot of people find that it's been an inspiration to the Liverpool car. Absolutely, let so be proud.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, It's a car that's literally reached, in my opinion, legendary status in the VW world. It's an iconic vehicle. You see the blue gear, it's on the Blitz shirt this year. Yeah, you see that car, and it's just like, that's too cool. Real cool. So, Mike, thanks so much for coming in and and, uh, and sitting down with us, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Legendary is for sure a way to describe that car, man. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that full-bodied gear rip down the track at blistering speed. If you get a chance to check it out and run at one of the Fast 4 Cartel events or even in Sacramento, or any of the other events that they may be racing that man, for sure, get out there and check it out. This week's show, we got some shout-outs. First up, I got Mustafa42 says, Best in the biz. This is an awesome podcast for new to VW people and the old heads. Love the content. Just so happened to buy a 67 right after the podcast dropped about the one-year-only parts. Love the podcast and look forward to each one. Keep up the good work, man. We appreciate you listening, brother. And uh, that's why he gets a shout-out. If you want a shout-out, too, on the podcast, you can pick up some merch at Letstalkdubs.com or you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and we'll give you a a shout-out. Don't forget to include your name in the description. As I'm recording this outro, I'm on my way back from interviewing Kenny Fitzer with Kenny Fitzer Designs. You might know him from being on West Coast Customs as a shop manager. He's a well-rounded, full custom guy into VWs from way back in the day in the uh, early 90s. Had a show bus, a few other things. And now he's building that legendary bus that everybody gets to see all over instagram right now from concept to reality i threw little teasers out there on the podcast instagram page so get ready to get into it we got a great podcast with him coming up next week so until next week guys later
1: here's a volkswagen that's big enough the new vw fastback sedan the fastback also has the most powerful engine we've ever made It's air cool
0: Since we made a VW That's a little roomier in the inside
1: And in the back Where most cars have their trunks We have a
0: Come to your Volkswagen dealer He'll show you where the motor is